0: if you will, open a Bible with me to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 9, where we will be together in God's Word here in just a few moments. And while you're turning back there, let me echo the welcome to all of you. We have a number of guests. Uh, Welcome. Uh, Many faces that mean a great deal to me and to my family. So good to see all of you this evening. I realize it's probably been a busy day in a variety of different ways, and there are other things that you could be doing this evening, other places that you could be, but you have been here to sing and to pray together and to open up God's Word and to exalt Him together, and already you have been an encouragement to me, so thank you very, very much for being here. I hope that our time together in God's Word will will be an encouragement to you we have been talking over the course of the last couple of days really about what it means to be disciples in talking with your elders here that was the the intended focal point of our week together to think about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus and what that calls for from us, our relationships with the Lord and, and relationships with one another. And so we spent time on Sunday just talking a lot about the one we're following. Appreciate the songs this evening that, that very intentionally focused us on the, the master teacher that has enabled us to, to follow him all the way to our eternal home. Last night we talked about, okay, what does this Master and Lord want us to build? And we used just some very basic passages to, to hopefully get across that it's not up to us to decide what it is that we're going to build together. That that has been defined, the foundation has been laid, and the cornerstone has been set. And, and the New Testament writers use this Beautiful idea of a holy temple in the Lord that we as Christians are living stones and we, we all play a part of that. And in a sense that is, this is the place that God manifests himself among us. We come and we sing to God. We are encouraged in the process but our praise and our thanksgiving is given to God and we share together in God. This is all about God. This evening I I want to pivot a little and think with you about mission. That was one of the, the specific things that came up in, in talking about this week and, and to make the most of it because as I shared with many of you on Sunday, if 2020 could be described for many of us as disciples in just a few words. It was probably something like, hold on, right? Don't let go. Don't give up. This is a difficult year, a difficult season, difficult circumstances that many of us have have never lived through anything quite like that. And so hang on throughout 2020, and in 2021, perhaps in many ways, it was a, a time like in the days of Nehemiah to rise and build. In many ways, 2022 is perhaps a very good time to remind ourselves of the fact that this is not just about us, about those of us who come and gather in buildings like this, if you're a member of this church family, it's not simply a matter of coming to this place and, and checking some religious boxes and then going about whatever it is that, that you want to do in life. And so, you know, here we are nearly the, really the last couple of days of the first quarter of this year, as hard as that is to believe squarely in this territory where maybe a lot of us had goals on January 1st and those goals, those resolutions have come and gone the way a lot of New Year's resolutions do. But could I, could I suggest to you that this is a goal whenever we are in the year, whoever we are as disciples of Jesus, we need to have. And if you're like me, you need to be reminded of this. Every once in a while. And that goal simply is this. To see people like Jesus saw people. If there are, and certainly there are, a variety of things that have had a, a toll taken on them over the course of the last couple of challenging, difficult years. But at least as far as I can tell, one of the things very near the top of that list is just basic human relationships, empathy, patience. With one another, we talked a little bit about on on, on Sunday how, in so many ways, this is a, a, an age of outrage where everybody has a microphone, maybe a megaphone, and everybody is very anxious to share their opinion on a variety, a wide variety of different topics, a variety of very difficult judgment calls that have had to have been made over the course of the last couple of years. And everybody has an opinion. And if in any way you're in any sort of a position of leadership, you learn really quickly when it comes to some of these difficult decisions that have to be made. Somebody has to make them. Whichever way you go, you're going to have half of the population angry with you. Half of the population that would think they that they, they would have gone completely the other direction. And in many ways, our, our modern media and our use of social media just stirs and and amplifies and intensifies a, a lot of this outrage. And I, I mentioned to you on Sunday in the, the, the scope of this study that We can't change what the world is doing. But I do know as disciples of Jesus, we ought not to be defined by outrage, but by outreach. And a lot of that is going to depend upon what we see when we look at people. It's rather basic. Something I'm afraid at at times we all need to be reminded of. If your Bible is open there to Matthew chapter 9, I want to zero in on this. As far as I can tell, just a, a single day in the life of Jesus. But it was a really, really tough day. Even if this wasn't all in the scope of one day. This is a tough stretch of time. And we don't have the time this evening to read every verse of the entire chapter, but I want you to notice with me that just right here in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus was accused number one of blasphemy. In Matthew chapter 9 and verse 3, there were some of the scribes who said to themselves, This man is blasphemy. He's, he, he's saying things that he has no right to. To say, and then we look down in verse 11 and we see that he's accused of associating with the wrong people. We hear the Pharisees as they see Jesus, we'll talk about what he was doing in just a moment. They say to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? In verse 14, he's accused of of not being righteous enough. There are disciples of John who come saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? In verse 24, he's laughed at. He's come at the request of a a, a desperate father, and by the time that they get back to this father's house, He has a little girl who has died. And Jesus in verse 23, as he comes to the ruler's house, he sees the flute players and the crowd making a commotion. He says, go away for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laugh at him. And then in verse 34, he's accused of being in league. With Satan himself. The Pharisees can't deny the fact that a great miracle has occurred. They don't know how to explain it. They're just going to tear him and his reputation down as much as they can. He casts out demons by the prince of demons. I don't know what sort of day or what sort of week you've had so far this week. But that's a pretty rough stretch. That's a pretty rough day. Accused of blasphemy. Accused on one side of associating with the wrong people. On the other side, accused of not being righteous enough. Right in the middle of trying to do something good and encouraging and helpful, he's laughed at, and then he's accused of being in league with Satan himself. But what stands out to me about Matthew chapter 9 is despite it all, what he sees. And we've got to slow down a little and really pay attention to what Matthew is telling us, but it's remarkable how consistently he uses that idea of seeing. For instance, there in Matthew chapter 9, you back up with me to verse 1. Getting into a boat, he, Jesus, crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son. Your sins are forgiven. In verse 9, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me, and he rose and followed him, and on the surface, well, that that perhaps doesn't seem to be all that deep or all, all that significant, but you put yourself back in that sort of a scenario where here you are in a small Jewish village just trying to mind your own business, do your thing. Who's the absolute last person in that village you want to lock eyes with? The guy that's collecting taxes for Rome, right? The the guy who, at a whim, can just tell you, listen, today this is what you owe. You you, you were down here at the sea fishing today, the tax rate of what you pulled out of the sea is going to be this. It's not my fault, but I hear from Rome, we're going to have to increase. Every time you're on the road to this particular Tax doesn't take a a whole lot of imagination to get the idea that as you're passing through this village and you're passing by this man in this tax booth, you just keep your eyes down or you look to the other side. Last thing you want to do is look at him. But Jesus, Matthew chapter 9 and verse 9, sees Matthew. He sees the despised outsider as far as his fellow Jews are concerned, right? This is is a turncoat. This is someone who perhaps is a Jew himself. He's been contracted by Rome. He's got to collect this. Whatever he collects on top of that is his. If anybody's an outsider in the village, surely it's this man. Or you skip a little down to Matthew chapter 9 and verse 18, where Jesus sees a woman perhaps that everybody had stopped seeing. While verse 18, he was saying these things to them. Behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. Jesus rose followed him with his disciples and behold a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for twelve years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, if only I touch his garment I will be made well. Jesus in verse 22 turned and seeing her said, take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And instantly the the woman was made well. You skip down to verses 35 and 36. Jesus is going throughout all the cities and villages. We'll talk about what he's doing here in just a moment. But what does he see in verse 36? He sees the crowds. We'll talk about what he feels in just a moment. But I want you to notice when he looks at people, when he looks at these crowds, what does he see in verse 36? He sees harassed and helpless people. I don't know what sort of words, what sort of adjectives you would use to describe People in 2022, but I'd suggest to you those two words need to be in contention. Harassed and helpless. Doesn't that describe a whole lot of people in 2022? whole lot of people over the course of the last couple of years? People who just feel worn down. People who feel the weight of so many things in this world. People who are harassed by relentless bad news and circumstances that they they frustratingly can't change. People who perhaps for the first time in their lives more than any other time in their lives feel absolutely helpless. And here you are, you, you, you may not be dealing with exactly the same anxieties that you did this time 12 months ago or, or 18 months ago, but you, you still feel right the ripple effects of a variety of different things that have happened over the course of the last couple of years. Harassed and helpless accurately describes a lot of people today in this context it was they were like sheep without a shepherd and we'll we'll take it a few steps further this evening but here's where it starts Jesus saw these people he saw The faith of helpers. He saw the despised outsider. He saw the the woman in desperate need. He saw the harassed and and the helpless crowds. And I I don't know about you, but it is all too easy for me to spend an entire day. I I I wake up and I I I go about my business. I can go into a grocery store or some convenience store. I can be around a variety of people all day long. I can have eaten in. multiple restaurants. I I can have interacted perhaps with dozens and dozens, hundreds of people. And I get to the end of the day, and if you were to ask me who it was that I saw, well, I... It was just like a blur, just nameless, faceless people all around me that I just had to make sure I didn't get too close to or bump into or uh, offend in any way. I'm just going to mind my own business and they're going to mind their own business. and, And maybe, you know, at some point it'll get a little deeper with somebody somewhere along the way. But it's really, really, really easy for me, maybe for you as well, to go through a day and never really see the people around you, not Jesus. Not only did he he see, but that seeing triggered within him something that he he. Look closer there at Matthew chapter 9 and verse 36. Not only does he see the crowds, he he, he sees that they are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He feels compassion for them. And I don't know what your experience exactly has been over the course of the last two years. But my experience is that people have not exponentially grown in compassion over the course of the last 24 months. If we've been lacking in just about anything, surely compassion is very, very, very close to the top of the list where I'm going to think about you Ahead of myself. I'm, I'm gonna think about how you're gonna hear the words that I really feel compelled to say. I'm I'm gonna think about the context that you have grown up in before I start talking as if my context is just the universal context that everybody has has ever experienced. I'm I'm not gonna think about where you've been, what you're going through. I just have something to say and I think you need to say it and if you would just look at the world the way that I do, this would be a perfectly heavenly place. A lot of people act like that, right? Jesus saw these people. They were harassed and helpless and he felt compassion. So what did he do? You back up one verse to Matthew chapter 9 in verse 35, he went throughout all the cities and the villages, he was teaching in their synagogues, he was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease, every affliction, well, you know, I read that and, and he's Jesus, I I certainly want to grow in my understanding of the, the good news and I want to share that in whatever way that I can, but I... I can't heal every disease, I, I can't stop every affliction, but that's not the point. It's not what he's asking me to do. In fact, in verse 37, he speaks specifically to the disciples and he says, even as we've sung this evening, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. You ever thought about those words in, in this context? There are a whole lot of harassed and helpless people. Look around you. Jesus is inviting His disciples. Everywhere you look, harassed and helpless people. And there's not a whole lot of compassionate people. There are a whole lot of people who just want to do what they want. do, but they have not yet learned, they do not yet see that by doing just what they want to do and and acting as if God is not there or there isn't a standard of right, they don't have to control themselves, they don't have to worry about that wrath of God that we talked about Sunday night. It's just making them more harassed and more helpless. But, But I don't want you as my disciples, he is Is saying just to well wring your hands? What in the world are we going to do? We're just going to wait for Jesus to do His thing. We're we're going to avoid eye contact with everybody. Maybe we're going to move out into the desert up on a tall mountain and we're going to separate ourselves from everybody. Maybe we'll build a magnificent temple up there. No, that we noticed last night. That's that's not what we're being called to do. We're being called on a mission. Everywhere we look, 2,000 years later, harassed and helpless people and the laborers who can make a difference are few. Therefore, pray. Pray earnestly. To the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, Several things stand out there, right? Number one, the fact that there are harassed and helpless people does not negate the fact that there is a Lord overall. The fact that circumstances were difficult in the Roman Empire doesn't somehow make Caesar greater than the Lord of the harvest. He, He is... He is coming as we've talked in a variety of ways over the course of the last couple of days. And this Lord of the harvest could choose to make a difference in in any number of ways. He could just snap his finger and, and suddenly no more harassment, no more sense of helplessness. Everybody knows exactly what they need to know. Everyone's free will has been taken away and everyone is going to be compelled against their will to do exactly what the Lord of the harvest wants them to do. But never has he wanted just mindless robots. He, he wants a relationship with people created in his image. And sin fractures that relationship. Sin promises the good life and it leaves me harassed and helpless. And what Jesus is calling his disciples to do. is to make a difference. To get out into the harvest. Not just to be a a religious, holy temple. Of course, do what God is calling us to do on the front of worship and, and building one another up and refreshing each other and together thanking God and praising God having this beautiful fellowship amongst ourselves, but then to go out into the harvest. In fact, he used simple illustrations that the most simple among his disciples could easily understand. Go with me in your Bible to John chapter 1, if you will, a few pages after this. John chapter 1 and let's just zero in we've we've talked about peter in a couple of different ways already over the course of the last few days but it ties so powerfully into what we're talking about this evening peter early on can very easily detect that this jesus from nazareth is someone extraordinary John chapter 1, we're we're, we're talking very, very early on in those days where John the Baptist was known better than Jesus from Nazareth. John himself has students, disciples, and in verse 35, John is standing with two of his disciples and he looks at this Jesus as he walks by and, and he points at him and says to his disciples... You need to see, behold, the Lamb of God. And and these two disciples hear him say this. They start following Jesus. And and Jesus, he just turns and and asks them, what are you looking for? What are you seeking? They say to him in verse 38, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And, And his response is, come and see." Next verse, verse 39, they came and and they saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day. For it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and and said, we have found the Messiah. We found the Christ, the, the anointed one that our people have been waiting for. And So he brings Peter to Jesus. Jesus looks at him and says, you're Simon, the son of John. How do you know that? You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Well, why? Come and see what Jesus says. inviting You go a little with me before this to the Gospel of Luke chapter 4. Peter learned very quickly that Jesus was someone extraordinary. Luke chapter 4 and verse 31. He went down to Capernaum, a, a city of Galilee. And Jesus is teaching in verse 31 on the Sabbath. And everybody who hears him is astonished at his teaching. His word possesses authority. And in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. You see, Jesus... It's extraordinary. He, He rebukes that unclean spirit saying, be silent and come out of him. When the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. He arose. He left the synagogue. He entered Simon's house. Peter's house. Simon's mother-in-law is ill there with a high fever. And and they appealed to him on her behalf. Peter, he's got a front row seat that this Jesus is extraordinary. Jesus... Stands over Peter's mother-in-law, he rebukes the fever, and it leaves her. And immediately she she rises and and begins to serve it. Peter's never seen anybody like this, but you know Peter is just an ordinary guy. I he over there is extraordinary, but I don't know what in the world he could ever have. Any good that I, I could possibly offer or contribute to this whole thing, I just know I've never seen anybody like this. The sun is setting and, and, and all of those who have any who are sick with various diseases, bring them to Him. He lays His hands on every one of them and He heals them. Demons also come out of many crying, You are the Son of God. And then in Luke chapter 5, everything changes. I mean, Peter, just this ordinary guy, all that he knows to do is, is to fish. That's all he knows how to do. That's all he's, he, he's ever done. He's, he's a fisherman on Galilee. And in Luke chapter 5, all, after all of this amazing, crazy stuff at his house and with his mother-in-law and the whole city outside... On one occasion, while the crowd is pressing in to hear the word of God, Jesus is standing by, you know, where Peter works. Jesus sees two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and and they're washing their nets. Getting into the one of the boats, which just happens to be Simon's, Jesus asks him to put out a little from the land. And and he sits there in in Peter's boat and, and he teaches from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and and let down your nets for a catch. And perhaps here's where it would be really tempting to say, you know, I don't know how you do what you do. You're extraordinary. But if there's one thing in life I know how to do, it's how to fish. Fish. And now's not the time to get out. Now's the time to recoup from a long and largely fruitless night. Now's the time to clean our nets. Now's the time to mend those nets because the sun's going to set eventually and it's going to be time to get back out and and to fish. Master, verse 5, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I'll let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish. So much so that their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners, James and John and the other boat to come and, and to help them. And they they came and filled both the boats and both of the boats are so full that they're starting to sink. And when Simon Peter sees it, he he already knows that Jesus is someone extraordinary. Now, there's no way I should be in the same boat as this person. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He and all who were with him were astonished at the, the catch of fish that they had taken. I want you to listen to what Jesus says in verses 10 and 11, because it absolutely applies to you and to me just as surely as it applies to anybody. Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Could I, we've taken a couple of strands this evening to get our, our minds hopefully in the right place. Could I put all of these together in just a, A couple of really basic points that I would love for you to take home with you this evening. Because it takes faith to do what Jesus is very clearly calling his disciples to do. I mean, it takes faith to literally fish, right? If you can't see the fish and you can't hear the fish and you can't, maybe you can smell them, but maybe not that good. Maybe it, it's just kind of settled in the area. You, you can't touch the fish yet. And if if faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the, the evidence or the conviction of things not seen, well, it, it takes faith to fish physically, right? And And especially spiritually. Could I suggest to you, number one, that Peter, or Jesus, is perfectly aware of Peter's weaknesses. And he is perfectly aware of your weaknesses. And my weaknesses. Having done his human best at the thing he was best at, Peter's net's. Were empty. So why was this the, the perfect time for Jesus to call Peter to something greater? Well, isn't it because Peter needed to have his weaknesses exposed? I don't know about you, but I don't enjoy that process. But perhaps God is telling us the truth all along that when we realize just how weak and feeble we are, that's when the really good stuff starts. When it comes to fishing for people... Maybe I'm afraid. Maybe I'm apathetic. Maybe I'm I'm dealing with selfishness. Maybe I'm dealing with a whole lot of skepticism where I've tried and I've tried and we've tried and we've tried and they've tried and they've tried. And I'm just not sure anything's going to work anymore. Maybe it's it's pride or maybe it's just garden variety unbelief. But Peter needed to have his weaknesses exposed. He needed to see himself who, one, apart from Jesus, could do nothing. That's, in fact, where we started on Sunday morning, if you remember. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears my... Much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. Peter didn't believe that yet. He needed to have his weaknesses exposed, he needed to really see Jesus, the one who rules the fish. And fills the nets. Number two. Jesus isn't asking us to do something. We're incapable of doing. Jesus didn't ask Peter to create fish. He didn't ask him to fill the sea with fish. He didn't ask him to use a a miraculous net. And neither is he asking you or me. To do anything we're incapable of doing. He's not asking us to provide the sacrifice for sins. He's not asking us to devise a plan for salvation. He's not asking us to somehow grab a hold of people. And force them to do anything that that, that they don't want to do. No. In Luke chapter 5. Jesus is simply asking Peter. To trust him. Put out into the deep. Let down your nets for a catch. And at the right time, in the right way, for the right purpose, Jesus provides the fish. In Luke chapter five, it's clear that Peter, he knows this. <laughs> this wasn't us. This wasn't James. This wasn't John. We did our best at what we're best at. And we got nothing. There's one explanation for this. You turn in your Bibles with me quickly to the Gospel of John chapter 6. That realization produced reverent fear in the heart of this man and a willingness to follow Him. In John chapter 6, if time allowed, we could go back and we could look at another really difficult day in in Jesus' life where it starts with a really big crowd and Jesus is telling them what they need to hear. And by the time all of that is done, pretty much everybody is deciding, we don't... We don't want anything to do with Jesus anymore. John chapter 6 and verse 66. Many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? And as hard on Peter we are at times. On this occasion, it's Peter who steps up and says exactly the right thing. Lord to whom shall we go? Do you believe that? I mean, really believe that. You, you know what it is to be harassed and helpless. H- have you gotten to the point that you you understand we, we do what we can as, as citizens of these United States of America, but it doesn't matter who we elect to the state house or the white house or whatever it is, they're, they're human. They're, they're limited. They can only do so much. And so some trust in chariots and some trust in horses and some trust in presidents and some trust in dictators. But we trust in the one who has the words of eternal life. we We've come to know, Peter confesses, you are the Holy One of God. But do you know what Peter had to be reminded of over and over and over again? And I take great comfort in that because I need to be reminded of it Over and over and over again. It's really easy for those 12 men to get in a little holy huddle amongst themselves and start arguing about who's the greatest and who's going to have what seat and and, and who is, is more weighty in their influence and who Jesus likes more, who Jesus loves more. And all over the Gospels, Jesus says, you you don't yet see as I see. Because I love lost people. And he earnestly desires to develop faith within his feeble disciples to fish for lost people. Just listen to these last few verses in our, our time together this evening where he's in the house of that despised tax collector. And it's then that he says from Matthew's house, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. To repentance. When he sends out 72 disciples, two by two, he tells them again, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. In the the, the parable that establishes so much context for all other parables. Here we, we've got tax collectors and, and sinners that are all drawing near to hear him. And he sees them because he loves lost people. And we've got religious people over here grumbling, saying, well, he eats with sinners and and receives them. And so he tells them, Such a basic parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. I want you to listen to that carefully this evening. Does it bring joy in heaven when a hundred of God's people gather together and sing praises to him? Absolutely it does. Does it bring joy in heaven when we gather together and we pray together and and we know, we pray by faith that our prayers are heard in heaven? Absolutely, it brings joy to God. But do you really believe what Jesus is so blatantly telling us? You know what brings more joy than a hundred people getting together and singing praises to God? It's when someone who is lost is found. And so Jesus would go into the house of a man like Zacchaeus and say, this is why I came. And in his parting words, he would tell his disciples, this is why you've been saved. So that you can be sent and Matthew just very plainly tells us even after the resurrection there are some who are worshiping him there are some who are doubting we just we don't have all of this figured out yet but Jesus says listen all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me and now you're not being called to be builders of a massive Temple, like we talked about last night, uh, certainly not the, the builders of a large ritualistic, empty religious system. You're calling to belong, being called to belong to me, and you're being called to go out, go make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. There's there's our mission. Not simply to build an aquarium and, and tend the aquarium for all of the fish that are already in the aquarium. To go fishing. And it starts. As best I can tell. By really trying to see. Like Jesus saw. So could I challenge you this evening. And remember tomorrow and the next day. To really try and see people. Like Jesus saw people in an age where so many look at others as an inconvenience or as ridiculous and beyond hope and frustrating and just people that need to be put in their place and people that need to be argued with and just avatars with pixels that maybe aren't even really human to begin with. But I'm determined to win this argument and show everybody why my way of thinking is the better way. That's the way of the world. I encourage you to really see that Jesus sees. Because as we've been reminding ourselves all all week long, what an incredible blessing to be able to say, I am his and he is mine. But never did God ever say, okay, you figure this out and then you just wait and I'm going to take care of you in heaven. He said, I'm saving you. You can say, I am his and he is mine, but I'm saving you to send you. And so even this evening, we're going to sing a song that is encouraging you to think about your relationship with God. The whole goal of all of this, even this evening, is not just to be engaged in religious activity, but to build a relationship with this God who loves us so much. And if you realize you don't have that relationship this evening, and you've heard that call to be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and and to be taught everything that the Lord wants in, in your life and for you and through you, and you're ready to start that right here and right now. I believe there is joy in heaven over all of the people who devoted this Tuesday night to Focusing on God's word. But you know what would bring more joy in heaven? Is if one sinner. Turns from their sin. And maybe that's you this evening. Maybe you've been walking with Jesus for a while. But in all honesty. Your your relationship with him is not what it ought to be. And you could use some serious fervent. Whatever your need may be, if we can be of any help whatsoever, would you let us know how we can help by coming to the front while we stand and sing together?